Welcome to Radical Resilience, the podcast. I'm your host, Pega Kadkodian. Resilience is more than just learning to bounce back from adversity. It is both a spiritual and practical journey of returning to the essence of who you are. With Radical Resilience, life can throw anything at you, and no matter how tossed around you get, no matter how hard you fall, you have the ability to get back up and come home to yourself. Hear the inspirational stories of women who embody radical resilience and learn the resources you need to reclaim your passion, purpose, and power. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Radical Resilience, the podcast. I am, as always, your host, Pega Kedkodian. I am joined today by the lovely Ashley Hall, who I had the pleasure of meeting not long ago, the badass in her own right. She is a holistic wellness practitioner and has been for about 10 years, is a yogi and has been studying various types of yoga for an additional 13 years with 10 years of teaching experience. I'm right there with you, sister. Really, it seems that her mission in life is all about supporting men and women to process their traumas, heal, and really come into their empowerment and their fire. She said, our body's consciousness and intelligence to heal itself is incredible. With the tools and knowledge to work with the mind, body, and soul, I can assist you in your healing process and help you gain the awareness required to heal on a deeper level than imaginable. It is such a pleasure to have you here, Ashley, you know, knowing that we do complimentary work in the world. I love speaking to a fellow sister who is on this path herself. Hi, yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Today, we're going to talk a lot about a topic that is still a bit taboo for a lot of women and something that you have some some personal experience with. And my understanding is what really uh, motivated you to do your work in the world. So if you would, Ashley, share with us your personal resilience journey as it pertains to your reproductive health? It is very much a taboo subject and it shouldn't be. My journey started, I just graduated massage therapy school. So I had my very first miscarriage, um, December, 2011. And That one was very interesting because I was essentially finding out I was pregnant as I was losing the baby. And at first I thought it was just a very painful period. And then I was like, wait, something's not right. I'm nauseous. I could barely stand. I had a fever. The pain was so bad. And my husband at at the time had already moved back to New Mexico and I was finishing school in Arizona. So I was completely alone. And that one was kind of the start of what this could be. And so being at six weeks, it wasn't that far in. It was relatively easy for me to deal with emotionally as far as I wasn't expecting. So I wasn't attached to an experience being a physical reality at that point. So with that one, I feel that the the miscarriage itself was the hardest because of the pain and the physical things that I had to deal with there, especially being alone. And I find that so many women that I even help, because um, I do miscarriage and early birthing support, so many of them go through it alone, whether that's because they are alone or because their partners don't understand what they're going through. Speak to that experience. There you are. You're obviously going through other major transitions in your life. And there is this huge loss and 
I think so many women have had this experience relate to what that feels like, uh, myself included. And I know I'm asking a lot of you here, but if you can give it words, if you could take us through that journey of, of what that was like for you. So that was my first of four. So the very first one, like I said, there wasn't a lot of emotional attachment to it. So the grieving wasn't as intense. I will say that the going through it alone and realizing, oh shit, this is what I'm going through, um, kind of shifted it. But so what a lot of women don't realize is that you go through labor. A miscarriage is your body dilating and contracting and going through labor. And as a birth doula, I'm always telling women, you know, this is pain with a purpose, but with a miscarriage, there's not that end light, the end of the tunnel. And so it was one of those where I cried over it. I dealt with it. The pain was the hardest to deal with because it was for whatever reason, that one was a very hard, quick labor. And so I had pain for 12 hours of that day so bad that it was just all I could do was lay in bed and moan. And those moans were to use that vibration and that sound to actually help me get through the pain. I will never tell anybody not to go to an allopathic doctor in Western medicine if they're having a miscarriage and you feel like you can't handle it. Of course, do that. I, on the other hand, am stubborn and hard-headed and like holistic medicine and keep me out of the hospitals unless I am dying. And so I, you know, I really wanted to deal with it on my own. And at that point in time, I was also not as in tune or in touch with my body as I am now. And so I was just finishing massage school. So yes, I, I was more in tune, but I wasn't into women's health then like I am now either. And so it was very much one of those, um, it was filled with fear. It was very scary experience. And it was like, you know, if I have to, I can call 911. I know an ambulance can come get me because I'm here by myself. I had no family or friends around. Um, but with that being the thing, like I, I just leaned into that very, very uncomfortable edge and, and dealt with it myself. So then I moved back to New Mexico at the end of that month. So it was about a few weeks after I had that miscarriage and reunited with my husband at the time. And at that point we ended up getting pregnant again. And it was March of 2012 that I had my second miscarriage. And that one was at 12 weeks. That one was further along. So it was very scary. It was, I was in the middle of doing a massage and I felt a gush of blood and I was like, that's not right. Something's not mm -hmm. right. And so I called my husband. He came and picked me up from work and took me to the hospital so we could see what was going on. In my mind, I kept thinking, well, women bleed. I didn't realize at that time that if you have a gush of blood, something is wrong. If you're spotting, maybe not. Um, and so we went to the hospital and the doctors essentially told me, you know, well, you're having a partial miscarriage and they had done a blood test on me and I was, um, O negative. And so O negatives tend to have issues if their partner does not have the same RH factor as they do. Um, so a positive blood type, my body thinks is a virus. If the blood and body mixes with the baby and a lot of science there. So at that second one, I, for one, 
it triggered me that the doctor came in and said, well, you're having a partial miscarriage. In my mind, as I'm thinking, what the F does that mean? Like, why? I, I don't get it. And so they sent me home. I'm a, a bit confused with that too. What does a partial miscarriage mean? So I will tell you that the hospital experience was more traumatic than any of my following miscarriages. I will always trust my body's wisdom and I will never go to the hospital again. Not for that, because our bodies are fully capable of every bit of dealing with that. From my understanding, when they said partial miscarriage, I think they, they say that in a sense of, well, maybe it will stop. And being O negative, they gave me the Rogam shot which is essentially to stop any antibodies from mixing into the bloodstream from the baby's blood if you have different blood types. But it doesn't necessarily stop a miscarriage. So I ended up going back like three or four hours later with very heavy bleeding. And the same doctor came in and he's like, oh, well, yeah, I guess you're having a miscarriage now. And that's the other thing that I noticed with being in the hospital is they were so shut off. There was no emotion. There was no compassion or empathy for what was happening. And on the other side of that, being poked and prodded with needles and, you know, all of these tests when you're already in so much pain, like it's, it's uh, not a process that I would wish on my worst enemy. It was very intense after I ended up spending, I get, I got transferred to the hospital, another hospital, um, because I was in a smaller town and they didn't have an ultrasound machine. So they transferred me in a ambulance to another hospital. And at which point they did an ultrasound and everything like that. And I didn't actually need the DNC, which is where they go in and clean everything out. Um, everything had passed naturally. And so it was, it was really interesting. And one thing that I noticed in the hospital as well through that experience was when I left. So the pain was so bad, especially when you're not in your experience, when you're trying to run away from the pain or yeah. run away from what's happening, I think it makes it worse than if you just truly breathe and be in your experience. And so I was totally in that space of, I wanted to get away from it. And so they put me on a morphine drip to help the pain, which by the way, didn't help the pain. Um, and I was so drugged up on morphine when I walked out of the hospital that next morning that my husband actually had to basically carry me back to the car to get me home. Yeah, my goodness. And I'm going to ask you in a moment, you know, what you did to process and, and get through that, but take us through the next two if you would. And I know you said that you'd asked me that, how to process that, but I actually went into such, and I, I had struggled from past childhood trauma with having PTSD and, and depression and anxiety and things like that. And I didn't really know that that's what I was dealing with. And so after that second miscarriage, I actually found the depths and the depth of the depression. Um, I laid in bed for two weeks. I hardly ate. I hardly mm. spoke to my husband at the time. I, I went into a dark black void. And at that time, I didn't see a way out. I didn't think that there was a way out. And it was really interesting because about a month after that, my divorce followed. And so it was miscarriage, him not knowing how to handle it me not knowing how to handle, neither of us knowing how to handle it. And so everything split. Um, 
Which would have anyways. It just happened to happen during a very traumatic time. The next two following that relationship, I was in a six-year relationship. um, And that one was very, all of my pregnancies have always, they've always been unplanned. With that one, it was, again, I was doing a massage and I felt the gush of blood. And I told my client, I was like, I'm so sorry. I said, I don't want to freak you out, but this is what's happening. I'm going to have to stop. And I lived about 30 minutes outside of town. And so while I fully knew what was happening, since I'd already gone through this before, I was like, I want to get home. I want to deal with this at home. And at that point, I had already called a midwife to, you know, to deal with the pregnancy and all of that. So I called her and I told her, you know, this is what's happening. I just want you to know. And I actually remember stopping at the grocery store or the health food store before I left because I was like, we have nothing at home. And I want to make sure that like I go with supplies and everything we need. So I'm like trying to control my bleeding. I'm trying to grab a few things. I'm trying to control my emotions because I already know what's happening. And I'm, I was expecting this one. I was wanting this one. And this one was at 13 weeks. So this one was even a little further into it. And with this one, it was, um, it was a very strong soul. I knew I was pregnant before I had ever actually found out and confirmed it. So it was, it was a lot. And the other thing with this one was that we had just announced the day before that we were expecting. And the day after is when the miscarriage started. And so by the time I had driven home, which was about 30 minutes, I had already lost a lot of blood. And right as I was walking through my front door, I felt the baby pass and I held the body between my pants and my leg as I walked to the bathroom and I walked past my partner and he was like, what's happening? And I said, you just need to be here. Mm. I can't. And I just remember like going and sitting on the toilet Mm. and just allowing the blood to come through. And I wish I had done something different, but I was so distraught at the time that I just rolled up my pants and gave them to him and was like, you have to deal with this. I cannot see what the body looks like. I can't handle this right now. And so I sat on the toilet and when he came back, I just remember him holding my face in his hands and telling me everything was going to be okay. And so in that moment in time, I, I felt the love from him and was like, okay, we'll be okay. We'll make it through this. Um, and so the, the contractions and the pain and everything were so bad. I just went and sat in the shower Well, sitting in the shower and losing blood, dropped my blood pressure. And so he went to go make sure the bed was okay with plastic and, you know, all of the good stuff. And so by the time he came back, I was kind of leaning outside the shower and I, I told him, I said, I need you to help me. And as soon as I stood up, he was grabbing a towel and I just, I remember getting the words out of my mouth. Like, don't worry about it. I'm about to pass out. And all I remember was grabbing the shower, um, like railing and passing out in his arms. And at that moment, like he told me he had to pry my hand off of the bar because it was holding on so tightly all I remember was him running through the house, screaming my name. And I could hear him like as if he was in a tunnel, but I couldn't respond. And that was a very scary moment. 
But as soon as he threw me on the bed, I heard him say, I'm going to call 911. And I like reached out for him and I said, don't you dare. And I just was like, just sit back with me. It's okay. Um, with that, at that point we called the, the midwife and she had me take my blood pressure and, you know, different things like that to make sure my vitals were okay. And that was the third one. And after that, I just, I actually laid in bed for the next four hours and hallucinated. And that was a very interesting experience as I was getting to, in a sense, see the baby's soul as she was sitting there with me, kind of like guarding me and making sure I was okay as I was dealing with the rest of the release. And then I had to bring myself out of that that space and not allow myself to, to drop back into that same depression that I had had before. And then obviously there's a fourth one. And what I'll do is after you're done telling us about each one of these, I want to go back and ask, you know, what did you do with each one to tap into that inner resilience or, you know, what was it that helped you move out of the space you were in and into, you know, kind of getting back into the flow of life. And I, I, I would imagine it's probably different with each one, but there may be some recurring themes, but just, you know, you don't have to go into too much detail, but if you just tell us about the fourth one and then, and then we'll kind of go back and trace how it was that you managed each one of those. So the fourth one was in August and so it was very recent. It was actually with a beautiful partner who was very, very supportive, which was amazing, even though he didn't know how to handle it. He was very much there and supportive of it. That one was very different. It was one of those where the pain and the bleeding didn't hit right away. I had spotting and I knew that that wasn't normal. Just I could just start to feel like... I actually felt it coming the day before the day before I was very much in this space where I just, I couldn't pinpoint it, but I, my emotions were off and just different things. And so the next day I'd started spotting. I had no pain. There was no gushes. There was, it was very, um, what I considered mild at first. I was seven, six or seven weeks along with this one. But again, I knew I was pregnant before I ever found out. Um, I think I knew at conception that that one had happened. The whole miscarriage lasted about eight days. The other ones, I was able to kind of come back physically as far as being physically okay. This one took me a, a while. And the biggest thing I remember with this one was that while the, the pain hit about six or seven days in, as far as like feeling contractions, feeling that pain of like everything releasing, even though I had already been bleeding. And at that point, I just noticed that my skin hurt. My partner was at the time was trying to comfort me. And it just felt like I had raw skin. Like it was my whole body felt raw. And I think that you know, each of the miscarriages were very, very different in the physical sensations that they gave, but that one was the most intense as far as like, I couldn't even be comforted, you know, like light tickles on the skin is something that comforts me, but that was one of the most painful things I've ever experienced in my life. And so with that one, it was, I, I am very aware of my body. So it was 
I sat in that space of, I trust my body. I trust its ability. I trust that this is what needs to happen. You know, it was just a very deep surrendering into the trust. Um, so with that, I just, I went into that space of, okay, I've gone through this before. I need to grieve it. I, you know, I need to let it out. And it, it took a while, but this one was, I would say the hardest and the easiest because I was more spiritually connected to this one and more in tune with myself, my spirit, my body, as well as it lasted eight days. It was a very um, intense process through the whole thing. I want to thank you for sharing and opening yourself up so beautifully and profoundly to this audience. It's not an easy thing to do. It's incredibly courageous. And I thank you. And I acknowledge you for your willingness to share your story in an effort to provide comfort and, and a sense of hope and um, ultimately healing for other women. So there were four instances of it. You know, you said the first one was really unexpected. There was a lot of physical pain, not as much emotional consequences, let's say, or emotional byproduct of it. The second one, it seemed, was really deeply emotional and had a profound impact on your psyche. What did it take to come out of that deep, dark, black hole? I, I stayed in that for years. It was in 2016 when I had my third miscarriage that I realized how much of that depression I had still been sitting in. Um, even though I was in the healing work of doing massage and helping other, I wasn't truly in the trauma work that I am now. I was still doing massage therapy and just, you know, making people feel better that way. And I didn't really realize how deeply I was still in that depression until my third miscarriage. And I had kind of come out of it a little bit, but my partner at the time was like, I'm not going to let you slip back into that space. And when he said that, and I realized that it was, I had come out of it over the years. And I think it was just because I didn't have coping mechanisms at that point in time. At that point in time, I was taking Vicodin and pills and doing things like that. So my process through healing for those was very much numbing and not healthy. So that third one was where it kind of, you know, he kept me from that as simple as taking me outside and sitting in the sun with me. And it allowed me to see how deeply I had still been in that depression from the first two that I hadn't really healed or dealt with them. What were the healing practices that you engaged in that allowed you to come out of that depression with the third one? So that third one, I had a friend that was doing um, core synchronism, which is very much the polarity therapy that I do, working with the central nervous system and releasing traumas that way. And so I had done about two sessions with her because I told her, I was like, this is, I don't want to go back to where I was. And I know that this is the reason I was there. This is a pain that's very hard to deal with. This is deep. I, I, I can't do this by myself. And so she did two sessions with me. And then it was that time of year where I needed um, 
continuing education for my massage. And so I was going to Arizona and I was going to go take my very first polarity therapy class. And at that point, I didn't really know what it was. I just knew that I was drawn to go take that class. And so during that class, so much processed from those miscarriages. And on the second day, I met a girl in class who had had a miscarriage the same week that I did. And we were happened to be in that polarity therapy class together. And what I realized was my ability to comfort her because that was my third and that was her first. And so at that point in time, I it, it actually completely shifted me in that I can use my pain to help others because I can truly understand it. And so it put me on this, this whole path of what I'm still on today of what techniques work with this and, and how. And so with that one, I used the polarity therapy and it was very much just being present. Stop trying to get away from the pain. Feel it, you know, feel it to heal it let it come through you, let the grief come through you. And even at that point, I don't think that I fully understood or even completely healed from those, even just using those techniques. Um, but I was able to keep myself in a space to where I was okay. I was, I wasn't back in that dark, you know, depressive space. I was, I was able to to transform and, and transfigure my pain through helping others through the same pain. Yeah. So what I'm really loving uh, inside of what you said there, which is so in alignment with the work that I do with the, the resilience pillars, you know, the second pillar of resilience is um, unconditional acceptance. And it is all about surrender and leaning in and allowing the pain to move through you and to just sit with it and let it be a guide and a teacher and let it transmute into something that is of service to you because I believe that all pain has a purpose. So that's that's wonderful to hear. And you know, whether it's polarity therapy or somatic experiencing or whatever the modality of healing is, I think, you know, for our listeners' sake and you know, and just to reiterate the point it's so important to process trauma in as much as we would rather in a variety of ways do what you had done with the first two, which is to numb the pain, whether it's Vicodin or food or alcohol or drugs or whatever. The tendency for us as human beings, I think, is to want to run from and avoid the pain. And really the healing can only begin when we lean in and allow it to come through and actually process and release from the soma, right? So thank you for that. And then with this fourth one, you know, what I heard you say in terms of the process and, and totally fill in and add to this was that there was this sense of um, allowing the process to happen. So not just allowing yourself to be with the pain of it, but just letting yourself move through the whole of the process. What else contributed to your healing and to your resilience with this last one? Yeah, taking it back just a step. Um, another thing that I used after the third one to help with the, 
the depression and things other than, you know, some of the holistic therapies like polarity was actually plant medicine. And so psilocybin or magic mushrooms, however you want to put them, the psilocybin in micro doses allowed me to kind of step back and observe and, and be in that space without being consumed by it. Because when we step into that space of grief, it can be consuming. And so I kind of use psilocybin through that. So this fourth one, I, um, you know, being a breathwork facilitator and all of these wonderful things now, I just allowed myself to feel into it. And I use my breath a lot. And that was one thing that I really realized was I was feeling so much grief and, and pain that I would stop breathing. And I'd be like, oh, wait, take a breath. You know, and just that simple breath would like bring me back and be like, okay, I can, I can do this. And a huge thing that I noticed was that because I'd been through so many, and I'm sure women feel this all the time, but I just wanted to be done with it. I just wanted to be over. And so I was almost kind of harping on myself and being hard, like, well, it's been two weeks. I should be good now. No, I still cry today every now and then. If I see a movie scene or something like that, it'll trigger it. But instead of being like, oh, what's wrong with me? Or, oh, I'm not over it. I just allow the tears to come and flow through and like, okay, well, that kind of sucked, but cool. We're over it now and I'm happy again. And so during that fourth miscarriage, at the end of it, I decided to take a microdose of psilocybin because I was like, I was just in a space to where like, I wanted to go do normal life things and I wanted to get back to life. And, you know, it was summer. I wanted to paddleboard and I wanted to do all these things, but I just physically couldn't. My body just would not do it. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to sit in the house. I'm going to do plant medicine. So I did a microdose of psilocybin and I sat there and normally psilocybin will bring on this warm, fuzzy, happy feeling. And it's like, okay, I can deal with this. Let's journal. Let's, you know, do all these things. It did the complete opposite this time. I sat in my living room and stared at the living room wall where my bookshelf is for about four or five hours and just cried, just broke down to my very core. And that's all I could do. And so after that major breakdown, I feel that that was the breakthrough I needed. The plant medicine really made me step back and be like, feel it, feel what you are avoiding to feel. And so when I sat there and I just allowed myself to cry, I allowed myself to just, just be my partner at the time, didn't even know what to do. He kept coming in and checking on me. And I just like, I'd put up a hand and be like, I can't deal with anything other than what's happening inside of me right now. And the next, I went to bed that evening. And the next morning when I woke up, there was this lightness. There was this, this space that had been created because I had allowed myself to truly go into the depths of the grief that needed to be felt there. And then from then on, you know, it was this year, it was in August. So since then I've just been you know, doing gentle things, being, you know, do when I feel the emotions or the grief rise up again, you know, do a gentle yoga practice and allow myself to cry through the practice and, you know, use essential oils when it's overwhelming and I have clients to deal with, you know, like it's, it's a, 
it's not something that's just going to go away. You're not just going to get over it. Oh, I think that's so important for our listeners to hear, whether it's the loss through something like this, where it's a miscarriage or any other kind of devastating loss. We put this pressure on ourselves to just hurry up and heal, get over it. I should be done with this. And, you know, the body has such incredible intelligence. It will let us know when it's time. If we just allow for the grief to come up and come through, just as you so beautifully stated. And I just want to highlight a couple of other things that you said for our listeners, which is it's okay to supplement with things like plant medicine or supplements, you know, that are supportive to us. And there's a great deal of research for those of you who have not uh, familiarized yourself with plant medicine. Psilocybin is something that is being studied at length. Uh, for things like depression and ADHD and addiction. So I would highly, highly recommend that you do the research on that. And I believe that they're uh, even looking at legalizing psilocybin in micro doses for the purpose of uh, depression or anti-depression. So take a look at those things. And of course, we're not promoting the use of any sort of illegal substances here. But um, the point being that there are ways that we can support ourselves. And the other thing you um, mentioned too, is just to be gentle and to incorporate other self-care practices, which, you know, number one pillar here at the, with the resilience work is radical self-care. So doing things like taking a gentle yoga class rather than feeling like, oh, I got to do a hardcore workout today when you're going through something. Um, using things like essential oils, you mentioned breath work. So I'm really hoping that our listeners are tuning into those things and knowing that there are a variety of ways that they can get through this time and really allowing themselves, those of you who are listening to really allow yourselves to process. There's so much going on in the world right now. And whether it's the loss that you're experiencing of a child by way of a miscarriage or the loss of a loved one because they've crossed over and passed on or the loss of a relationship or a job. There is so much that's transitioning right now. And so I'm hoping that this episode will really help to fortify people and give them that sense of hope that we're, we can get through this. So thank you so much for sharing that with us, Ashley. This last little bit is I asked these rapid fire questions of our podcast guests. I'd love to keep talking to you. I'm sure there's so much we could share, you know, for the sake of our timing, I'm just going to run through these with you. What was one thing you did to cultivate your inner resilience as you were going through these trying times? If you could just name one breath, breath work. I love that. I think that gets so overlooked. Just the simple act of breathing. That breath is the life force. What's your very favorite self-care practice? breath again it's just that coming inward like that breath lets you come back to yourself your three favorite personal development or spiritual teachers living or deceased the first one that comes to my mind though is Ram Dass he was one that completely shifted everything for me years ago with his paths to God book other than him I could not tell you Okay, well, we'll just go with Ram Das. I think he's big enough to hold the space for three. Who is in your power posse? And here's what I mean by that. I had a coach tell me once um, to call upon the energies of people or spirit guides or angels that I wanted at my back whenever I was going to walk into 
a challenging situation or um, in moments where I just needed that extra support. I have some beautiful people. As far as what I do as a as a daily practice is I call in my guardian angel, Rikhael. I call in the life force energy or the creator of all that is and my higher self because essentially we know best for ourselves. Beautiful. Top three favorite books of all time. And I know this is a really hard one, but just three that pop into your head. Code Red by Lisa Lister is an amazing one. Heal Your Body by Louise Hayes, or I think it can heal your life, I believe is what it is. And then um, The Art of Seduction by Robert Greene. I love it. So that, that I'll admit that question's a bit selfish because I like to add to my reading list. Not like I don't have a million books currently that I'm reading, but it's more just, I, I love to give our listeners, you know, food for their mind and their body and their spirit by way of these books. And for myself, of course, too. What would you tell your younger self with the wisdom you have acquired today? To trust my body wisdom to trust that everything within mm-hmm. us is everything we need. We don't need anything on the outside of us. We were fully equipped with the innate ability to heal when we came here. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us here today. It's been an absolute pleasure and privilege to share this space with you, to hear your insights, your wisdom, and your gorgeous story. I want to thank all of you who uh, continue to tune in and support the podcast. We'll have a couple more this year as we wrap up 2020. If you enjoyed today's episode, please feel free to subscribe and share. As ever, I am so grateful to have you as a part of this community, wishing you so much love, light, and aloha. Namaste. I'm Pega Kadkodian. Thank you for listening to Radical Resilience, the podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Be sure to go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and rate. And remember to share this with all the amazing women in your life. Join us next week for another episode of Radical Resilience, the podcast.